wow, what the fuck did you just call me? I didn't call you anything. I did not call you anything. Don't even start. I will whoop your ass. Go for it. Uh, (laughs) What was that? I hit you. Okay, then go. (laughs) Welcome, guys and girls and everyone. (laughs) Please cut that out. (laughs) Welcome to the You Don't Love Me podcast. I am Amir. They're not blonde one anymore. You are so cute. Hi. Oh, you're so cute. I just want to shove you up my bum. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Valentina. <laughs> I am not the Shard. Uh, when we went to London last time, we were yeah. staying near the Shard, and you can see it from when we were getting the um, elevated up and down. Yeah. And he kept looking at the Shard, and he kept going, I'm just going to shove it up my bum. <laughs> and I was like, what? He's like, I'm going to shove the Shard up my bum. <laughs> I was like, what are you on about? I was like, <laughs> and I kept saying, oh, look at it, it's just a challenge waiting for it to be conquered. And then, like, I'd even do it when there was tourists around and I'd point at it and stand behind him and be like, I'm going to shove it up my bum. <laughs> He's a freak. Don't go anywhere near him. But anywho, welcome to this very special episode of the You Don't Love Me podcast. Podcast. I am... Amir Dean, the one who is responsible for Microsoft, you welcome world. And um, yeah, this is a very special episode, Amir, isn't it? Yes, we have the incredible, I'm going to say incredible because I think he's an incredible human being. Mm. Um, The incredible Matt from the Nazem Matt Foundation. Yes, yes, we have this week's guest is Matt from the Nazem Matt Foundation. I just said that girl. Okay, fine. I mean, don't worry about saying stuff and whatever, because I'll, I'll it'll get okay. edited out. And no, stuff but I anyway. want this beef in it. Okay, <laughs> keep this in, bitch. Okay, I'm fine. not editing this out. Yeah, this week's episode is. Oh gosh, I'm saying it again. <laughs> Do you know what? He's a mess. This is after a long working day. You're a mess. It's okay. You pathetic yeah. piece of shit. Push <laughs> him. That'll be a bum. <laughs> Meow, as you'd say. So, why are you going so, back to it? Why are you so healthy? Yeah, and so Matt, you know what? He's going to tell you what he does. Honestly, he's just an amazing person. I absolutely love him, but I really do love him. He's a great individual. Uh, what an incredible story! What an incredible amount of work he's doing for the LGBT community, particularly people who are of South Asian descent. You know, the, the work that he does with them is is absolutely phenomenal. And when did we meet him first time? How was long it? have we known him for? Less than a year, isn't it? But I've heard of yeah. him for a long time. Yeah, we heard his story previous years. We met him when he saw our video um, from Pride. And he came up here and we did some recording with him. Mm. Okay. Mm. And we'll leave it at that. Yeah, there's some exciting things in the pipeline. And um, yeah, we recorded this episode with him. I hope you guys really like it. I hope that it provides you with some insight and uh, really enjoy it. So without further ado, from the Nazem Matt Foundation, here's Matt. Work. That was really funny, you know. Hi, Matt. Hi. Hello, how are you? We're good, thank you. How are you? Um, I'm yeah. doing well, thank you. Yeah, Matt, how are you doing? We're the interviewers, we're asking the questions. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Thank you so much for um, being on the podcast. Um, And thank you very much for making the time to um, uh, chill out and kiki. So should we get get going? Yeah, yeah. Matt, who are you? Uh, My name is Matt. 
Giles. Hi, Matt. Hi. Uh, so my name's Matt, and I run, uh, I'm one of the, the founder, one of the trustees of Naz and Matt Foundation. Uh, mm -hmm. We are a charity that tackles uh, religious and cultural homophobia, um, and the goal is to bring parents, religious parents, closer to their LGBTQI children by removing the barriers that prevent them from understanding and loving and accepting the kids they gave birth to just because they're born differently to how perhaps that family member imagined they would be. That that is quite the introduction. <laughs> that is you know brilliant. What? Slid. <laughs> yeah, you slid that man. That was brilliant. <laughs> That's a really, really interesting point, actually, the, the Nazan Matt Foundation. I heard of the Nazan Matt Foundation uh, a while ago, but I, I never thought we'd be on a podcast together here <laughs> talking about it. How, uh, you know, the world has a weird way of, of um, uh, working, I suppose. Uh, in terms of the Nazan Matt Foundation, before we get into the, the why and what, what um, was the driver behind creating the Nazimat Foundation. I was wondering if you would be able to tell us a little bit about your background. Where were you, where were you born? Are you a Londoner? What's going on? Uh, so I was born in Birmingham. Um, Birmingham? Yeah, Birmingham. I've, I think, thankfully, lost most of the accent. Ooh, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't mind the accent. Actually, it's very welcoming and uh, homely when I go back to the Midlands and I hear the accent. Yeah, so so I was born in Birmingham, and that's uh, where I grew up in Birmingham. And I moved away from Birmingham in about two thousand and four, I think it was. Whereabouts in Birmingham were you from? Sully Hill. Uh, no, not that posh. It was a very grubby part of uh, Birmingham, South Birmingham, called South Yardley. Uh, it was when I was very young. It was actually very nice to grow up there, um, yeah. but by the time that I left the area, it gone downhill. Uh, quite quickly and we were forced to move out of the area because uh, they wanted to build a supermarket uh, on top of our house so we had no choice <laughs> and in fact our house was locked down to become I think it was the petrol pump number two for Tesco's I think our house became <laughs> oh wow I, should, I shouldn't oh. laugh it's just like yeah, so we sort of had to move because the supermarket was built on those. So, wow. And now my house is a petrol pump. Damn consumerism. <laughs> oh, bless you. You've got to look at the light side of it, don't you? <laughs> yeah. They got us out of the area, so we're happy. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great story to tell. When did you sort of first realise you were gay and what was coming out like for you? That's, I mean, that's an interesting question. It's that, it's that spectrum of when did you, you know, when did we feel that we were gay? I think looking back, uh, I think probably, you know, my earliest childhood memory probably was in primary school. Um, I just remember, uh, you know, being, you know, wanted to hang around, you know, uh, you know, a couple of the boys in, in my class at that age, of course, I don't know what all of those feelings actually mean. Mm. Um, but knowing that, you know, where everyone's going around saying, oh, you kissed a girl, you kissed a girl. And I'm literally running away the opposite way. <laughs> um, and, in, and in primary school, uh, I was actually called something, which at the time I thought it was actually quite cool. But looking back, I think it was quite homophobic. I was actually called Gaylord, um, which I thought was something to do with Doctor Who. Um, <laughs> Somebody called you Gaylord. I remember when that used to get thrown about at school. Gaylord. Well. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you're gay. Oh, you're such a Gaylord. Oh, oh, the, oh, the, even the term gay was you, like, 
everything was gay, wasn't it? But do you know what, Matt? You reclaim that word and you turn it into a positive. You become that gay lord. You, you, yeah, we are we are knighting you, gay, <laughs> lord of the gays. <laughs> you can lead us. <laughs> well, it's actually uh, it's actually funny you say that because Lord of the Rings, Lord of the Rings was uh, imagined in Birmingham in the Mosley Bogs. That's where Lord of the Rings came from. So Lord of the Gays, I'll take that title. Reclaim that title. You the take Lord it. of the Gays of Birmingham. A.K.A. <laughs> gay Lord. So you knew you were gay when you were fairly young. And did you come well, out when you were quite young as well? Or? Well, actually, I mean, that was, that was the first... I mean, this is, uh, in retrospect, looking back mm. at me growing up. But in actual fact, I probably came out quite late compared to some people maybe because it wasn't until I was 23 did I finally actually come out to myself so in other words when I say coming out to myself I finally accepted that I was gay and there was nothing I could do to change that because I tried for many years to work out what these feelings were you know I didn't know a single gay well I knew one gay person which yeah, he was quite sleazy so I didn't associate myself with him or try not to associate myself with him because everyone else seemed to think in the area that, that was the only way that a gay person could be and in fact the area that I grew up in the area I mentioned before it was actually quite homophobic and mm -hmm. just just um you know talking in the office of seeing people um you know around a gay bar just because they were catching the bus there or walking past it anyone seen anywhere in the vicinity of a gay bar in Birmingham City Centre in the area that I grew up with uh you know we, it was talked upon, it was frowned upon, it was actually uh, talked down to. In fact, I, I worked with someone for quite a number of years and I was we were talking about this topic and I said, if I came into work one day and I told you that I was gay, what would you say? And this person who had worked with for at least four years at that time, he said to me, if you came into work and told me you were gay, I would never speak to you ever again. Oh my God. So, oh. so I knew that whatever this feeling was, I didn't want it to be that because I would lose everybody around me if everyone thought the same way so it was about 23 when I finally built up the strength and courage to overcome the prejudice and the homophobia that was that was in the area and around the people that I, I grew up with and it was uh you know was, I was only out a few months before 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 I met Nice. Isn't it? Isn't it interesting how I, I was talking to Amir about this as well. It seems like there's so many instances where gay people have to start from scratch every single time. They don't have gay people around them. They don't know that there's a you know there's more gay people out there. You have to find your yourself, and it's this continuous journey. And I feel that it's because people want to deny our existence. And Completely. it's like that experience that you had with that former colleague of yours who said that they'd never speak to you again. You know, my, my family has abandoned me and I know that any offspring that my um, siblings have, they will be raised to not really know who I am for, for the sake of keeping the peace in the family. And I just think there's so many people out there that want to deny us our existence and i'm you know i'm i'm sorry you, you that that it was like that for you in the sense that there wasn't a, much visibility out there but i'm glad that things are different for you now and that now you're a you know fully formed gay lord <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank, thank you for that optimistic <laughs> this is what we do we, we get people onto the podcast we insult them and then we say bye <laughs> 
I mean, when I was growing up, it was, you know, the internet was barely in existence. Um, and I remember, uh, uh, well, I was going to say Google, but Google didn't exist back then. So I was going onto Yahoo or Like or whatever it was called back then and just really searching for gay places in Birmingham. And I remember getting on the bus on at least two occasions where uh, I would tell, you know, tell my parents who are living with, get on the bus, hoping that I could meet another gay person not knowing what that actually meant or would lead to but just I wanted to just see what was out there and I remember going on the bus at least twice I went into town I you know back then smartphones didn't exist so I had like a printout <laughs> of where I needed to walk to and the moment I got close to where I thought the gay bars were supposed to be I chickened out and I ran back on the bus and went back home again because it was just this fear of someone seeing me and also fearing of my fearing myself and fearing the person that I thought I was becoming and the point you mentioned about denying our existence you know I wanted to deny my existence I was the one that proactively wanted to deny that I was gay Mm. wow so how how did you overcome that then um uh, without going into too much details all I'm going to say is I explored being straight <laughs> to the point that I couldn't go any further. Yeah. It was just too, yeah. It was just, I kind of actually set myself this uh, boundary of how far I would actually try to, to, to be straight. And yeah. when I got to that boundary, I made, it was a big decision. And I said, look, there's no way I am straight. There's no way, whatever this thing is called being gay, this thing that I see on TV that I don't like, whatever this, is. I mean, I, I wouldn't even call myself gay back then. I just had to accept that I didn't like women. Isn't uh, that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Because the fact that you were, and I know we've kind of gone off topic a little bit, I suppose, but the fact the fact that you were de- denying yourself your your own existence, it seems like it was because you because of the society and the environment that you were in. You you were almost conditioned to not be accepting of the fact that you're gay because it wasn't accepted in the environment that you lived in. Would that be right? It's 100% right. And, and that, that lived experience uh, from myself by, you know, being, you know, growing up in that environment where there was no, there was not one single positive gay role model that I possibly could uh, see on TV or see anywhere because it was all quite negative back then so so but but living that experience I now have a kind of I guess uh an experience that I can lean upon and learn and use Mm. in the work that I do now with uh you know Nazimat Foundation and the fact that I know that way of thinking that I had was because of the people and my surroundings and if I was in a different surrounding then I would have grew up very differently yeah. Crazy, isn't it? You know, you mentioned the um, Nazem Matt Foundation. Um, so when when did you start it, and what like encouraged you to start the Nazem Matt Foundation? So, uh, so Nazem Matt Foundation, we we announced it in August two thousand and fourteen. Mm-hmm. Um, the the reason why the Nazem Matt Foundation started was because a few days after. My my fiance and soul, my 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 darling Naz. A few days after he'd passed away, I wanted to join him, and I know how he'd left this earth, and everything in my 
body, my mind and my soul was determined to follow him in exactly the same way. And there was no doubt, there was no concerns, there was no worry in my head and my mind. Everyone else around me, my family and our friends who were staying with me at the time to, to I guess, protect me and look after me, they all knew what was going on in my mind because I couldn't keep it within myself, coming out verbally. But within myself, all I had to do, the only thing I had to complete in my life was to go and follow my lad and I could join him. And at the moment when I was about to follow him, the moment that I'd waited for hours and hours and hours for enough people in the flat to disappear or disperse rather away from me. At that moment, I was about to take my own life. I heard Nazi's voice. And it wasn't just a voice, a soft voice in my head. It was a, a commanding, powerful voice that stopped me in my tracks. And, it, and, it, and I still remember what, what he said because it was so powerful in that moment. And he said to me, Matt, darling, I know you're desperately struggling to find the reason to stay. And I know if I ask you to do something, because you always did everything I asked of you, if I ask you to do this, I know this will give you the reason to stay. And I want you to stay, and I want you to set up a group or a foundation or something that's going to stop people in our situation from having to go through what we went through. God. And as his voice slowly disappeared, instead of walking to the left to follow him, and then my life, I walked to the right, I walked in the flat, locked the door, sat on the floor, and I just started crying my eyes out. And, and his voice and his request saved my life. And that's where the Nazamat Foundation came from. And I know it was his voice because I didn't even know what a foundation was. I had to Google what a foundation was to find out what he meant. And, and that foundation, this foundation has already saved my life because I wouldn't be here if his voice had not appeared and told me what to do. And that's why I put so much energy and effort into the Nazamat Foundation because I'm still here because of it. So surely we can use it to help other people too. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, line. Thank you for sharing your story. I mean that that is that that is something that nobody should have to go through, and I'm so sorry that 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 has you know is the the reason why the Nazimat Foundation uh, came about. You know, in in terms of the the um, the the actual thing that that you went through, that that's really um, really unfortunate, um, but. The, I've seen the great work that you've done with the mm. Nazimat Foundation and it saved yourself, absolutely. You know, I've always said, you know, if you can't find that opportunity, you create it for yourself and, and you cl clearly have. And you setting up the Nazimat Foundation, you know, you've helped yourself as well. But as like you say, you've helped save so many people. Is that something that, that you'd like to talk about, you know, uh, uh, the type of instances? I mean, of course, there is your story. Is, is it something that's seen within the South Asian community? Because obviously within the South Asian community, things are kept quite hush-hush and, mm. and quiet. What have your experiences been as part of the Nazimat Foundation? 
Well, thank you. I mean, the you know when 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 we announced the foundation, it was actually at Nazi's memorial service, um, which was mm-hmm. shortly after he got buried because he's buried deliberately. So his family deliberately deliberately buried um, Naz without me being there. So I couldn't say goodbye in the way that I wanted to. I was denied that right to 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 see him get buried, and so being denied that. We, we we did a whole day celebration of Naz's life uh, shortly afterwards called the Celebration of Naz. And that's when we announced the, the, the foundation. And the reason why I wanted to mention that is because we announced the launch of something called Nazamat Foundation, which was deliberately named so that people, the moment they saw it, they could see that two people, two people of the same sex from different religious or cultural backgrounds can be together. And so from the moment people see it, there's a strong message going out there of unity and love between two people. But the thing is, although we announced it, I had no idea what charity did. I don't know what charity does. And some advice that my dad gave me, you know, when I was telling him what we should perhaps do with the foundation, he was saying, son, now is not the time to come up with ideas about what the foundation should do. Now is the time to sit and listen to everybody that comes to you and listen to what they want you to do. And that's what the charity should be doing. And so that's what we did. We we sat back and we started talking and talking and talking as much as we could, given the circumstances. And then more people started coming forward. And nearly all the services and things that we do is because somebody asked us to do it. And that's largely what we do. We We, we do as much work as we can. That's incredible. That's phenomenal. Um, in terms of um, your relationship with Naz, would it be okay to talk a little bit about that, uh, Matt? Of course. You feel of course, yeah. yes. Because you mentioned a great uh, a great point in terms of the Naz and Matt Foundation, the name behind uh, behind it, and and the coming together of two people that are of different cultural backgrounds. So, in light of that. What was your relationship with, with Naz like? How, how did you meet? When did you guys meet? So we met in Birmingham in 2001. And it was just a few months um, after I came out to myself. And I remember, wow. uh, so I just literally was, uh, I just met a few gay people who I was hanging around with. And we went to... An after hours nightclub. I didn't even know what an after hours nightclub was back then, but we went to an after hours gay nightclub. And in that nightclub, uh, which was one of, uh, you know, it was a very prominent one in Birmingham at the time, mm. but at the back of the nightclub upstairs, they had this very romantically named cafe uh, where you could chill out. And that, that cafe was called the NAF Caf. No way! <laughs> but the, so this was a cafe inside the club. Yeah, so it was like a place where people would oh, like cool. chill out and sit on sofas and eat food. So I ordered mm-hmm. a More very delightful fried chicken burger, which I was sitting there feeling rather sorry for myself. Oh, and my then God. this sweet, delicate voice uh, just came to the side of me and then whispered into my ear. It just said, excuse me, may I sit here, please? And in that moment, my my whole life changed forever because Nat had arrived. Nat had arrived and he changed my life forever. And he yeah. he just loved talking. Um, and the thing what I loved about Nat so much was that his honesty, he didn't know how to lie. 
which would get him into trouble sometimes. But, <laughs> it was just, but I think it was beautiful that he didn't know how to lie at all. And the thing is, you know, if there was something on his mind, he wanted to know the answer regardless of what the consequences were. And, and the third question he asked me after meeting me, um, after my name, was he said, I'm a Muslim, is that going to be a problem? Now, I mean, imagine being asked that profound question when you just met someone for the first time. So I had to give it some thought. I thought, well, why would he be asking such a question? Because uh, it didn't matter to me either way. Um, and when I thought about the people I was hanging around with and I realised they would have a problem uh, or they might have a problem rather, then I decided I didn't want to see those people again because how could anyone have a problem with a wonderful man like Naz? And we talked and we talked and we talked and we talked. And we just very quickly fell in love with each other, uh, very quickly, wow. very intensely. Um, literally everything around us just stopped just so we could be together within a few weeks of meeting each other and starting to go out and meeting some of Nazi's uh, medical friends because he was at uh, uh, university to, studying to be a doctor at the time. Um, you know, there's just a few weeks we were being called twins by his friends because although we looked different, we were actually identical in every other way. Um, you know, love like, the same jokes, the same music, same dancing, same sense of humour, same uh, completely inappropriate sense of humour, you know, immaturity, naivety, the whole lot. We were, we were pretty much the same person. So you like that. two peas in a pod. Yeah. See, with me and Amir, there's been a few times when we've been called brothers or cousins, but I don't think that's because of similarities. I think it's because we're both brown and people think we look the same. How about sisters? Yeah. Yeah, I wish we'd get called sisters. Yeah, we should do. Yeah. Oh, I like that. I like the story. Your, how, how long were you guys um, together for? How did your relationship grow? Well, it grew very quickly, very yeah. intensely. I mean, within a few months, I'd moved out of my family home and rented a flat down the bottom of the road where Naz lived with his parents at the time, which was quite risky, very risky, actually. Uh, but then we, we decided to move in, to get a house with each other. Uh, it's still wow. in Birmingham. But then we just grew tired and fed up of looking over our shoulders, uh, you know, because we, we couldn't walk down the street together. We couldn't hold hands in public. We... Uh, you know, we couldn't even have our blinds open in our window because we feared, you know, if his parents drove past, they might see us and what the consequences might be if they did find us. Wow. So in the end, we just had to run away to uh, London. And, and, I, and I do mean literally run away to, to London. We started applying for jobs. Um, and thankfully, we managed to get jobs just within a couple of weeks uh, of each other. You know, when we moved to London with just just a small amount of savings, not enough to see us more than a, a few weeks, really. Um, we moved to London just to try and escape to be ourselves where we didn't have to look over our shoulders and we could just have a life that was our life and nobody else's life. It's important, isn't it, to, to be away from ignorance and go to, go somewhere where you're celebrated and, and, and not discriminated against. Oh, definitely. Right? Exactly. I think when we moved to London, we... You know, we, we didn't know anyone in London, which was part of the attraction. Uh, we also knew there'd be lots of exciting opportunities, whatever they're going to be. Um, and, you know, we actually, Nas, because we didn't know anything about London, we knew nothing about London. Um, so wow. when Nas was at work one day, he said, uh, we should, Nas, Matt, sorry, Matt, you should go on a train while I'm at work and you should just go into London on your own 
and find us a good place to live. And I'm like, what? How do I do that? And so we <laughs> sat down and we thought, right, if we don't know anyone in London, who can we possibly get some inspiration from? So do you remember the TV series called Gimme, Gimme, Gimme on BBC? Yeah, gimme, gimme. yeah of course. Yeah. Tom and Linda. Yes, Linda. Yes. Yeah. yeah with the glasses and orange. Yeah. So, and they lived in Kentish Town. So, Naz said, go to Kentish Town. <laughs> I love these reference I points. I absolutely love that. Oh, gosh. And did you go? Yeah, I did. I, I, I went all the way down to London. I got off the train uh, one stop early from Kentish Town. I just got a bit lost. Um, so, you, you guys were together since 2001. So, that's... Yeah, we're 13 years. Wow. Um, and what was it? What was it like um, being with somebody who uh, was of South Asian descent, so pa- Pakistani, and, and and I suppose Muslim as well? What what was that like? I mean, for me personally, it was incredible. It was amazing. I mean, um, you know, my my dad's partner from a very early age. Uh, I think I was about seven or eight. Uh, you know, my dad's partner. She's Hindu, so. Where I was growing, you know, growing up, I was introduced to, uh, you know, very, very much so, to introduced to a, a new way of life, a new culture, a new f- amazing food, um, you know, gods mm-hmm. worship, fasting from a very early age, um, and so for me it was incredible. I mean, I wouldn't choose to have changed that ever. I mean, the thing is, we, you know, Naz and I, we, we. We grew up together. You know, we many of our first experiences were together. Um, and the thing is, this the fact that he was from a Muslim family, he would never really identify himself as a Muslim. He would say that's what society wants to label me as because of who I was born as and the family that I was born into. Um, and, you know, we've got, we've got South Asian friends and, you know, he never ran away from his identity. But the identity that he had, the one that he owned, the one that he was proud of, was was himself. And you know, he was very proud to be to be a gay man as well. He was very proud of the the gay part of him. Um, the rest of it, he was very much. He said that these are just the things that I'm I'm born with, the attributes that I'm born with, and that's the person that I am. And he would never want to be singled out as being different. And that was a thing he didn't like because of the work. You know, he didn't want to be singled out because he looked different perhaps to other people that were around him. You know, that made him feel very self-conscious. And I think a lot of that was because the things that he associated with perhaps, you know, for example, being Muslim was was his family. Um, mm. And he didn't want that to interfere with his personal life. Um, but, you know, he was, a, you know, he, you know, he's been to... Uh, you know, he used to go to the mosque with his mom when he went to Birmingham. You know, he's got the, he used to go to Quran lessons. You know, we had the Quran at home. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he, he never denied that side of his identity. Um, but I guess the strongest part of his identity was 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 the happy gay man that he was. That's amazing. It's um, so it sounds like he was human before he and and he was a compassionate person before he was concerned with any of the additional added labels right he, he he saw people for who they were rather than just the color of their skin or race religion and all that's mm. all secondary isn't it exactly he, he introduced me because i was you know I, i'm a product of my upbringing and 
you know, I think everybody is a product of their upbringing and their journey mm-hmm. and the people they've met up into that, that, that moment. And Naz was instrumental in opening my eyes to a more beautiful, more accepting world than the world that I had grown up in. And he, he saw everybody as an individual. And if somebody was different, he would be drawn to that person for being different and he wanted to celebrate their differences. He wanted to enjoy them, explore them and just really just see, he just saw the beauty in everybody. Uh, and that hopefully I kind of learned from as well. That's see, incredible. That is absolutely incredible. And, you know, but unfortunately not all South Asian people are like that. I for one hate everyone equally. <laughs> so <laughs> West and everyone. I love everyone. Until, so. until I like them. <laughs> I, I, no, but I, I, I think that's something that everyone can take away. The idea that, you know what, you're different. Let's embrace it. Let's learn from you. Let's, let's celebrate this difference. I love that. Absolutely. It's exciting. Yeah. It's exciting. Someone's different from you. It's exciting. It's really exciting, isn't yeah. it? No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but, but Matt, so sensitive question, but I wasn't, I, I do really want to ask you this question. Unfortunately, I am gay. You what, sorry? I am gay. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I'm shocked. Oh my God, you'd never believe it. Me too. <laughs> I must have caught it through this call. Um, so, Unfortunately, there's a lot of, uh, you know, the perception in society is always happily ever after. That's that's a dream that we all uh, aspire to. However, given your story, what is your understanding now of what love is? Love is the most beautiful gift that we've been given and we should cherish and hold on to it and protect it no matter what. It's something that we should never take for granted. It's something that we should be prepared to give to anyone that we meet. There are so many different types of love. I think my favorite type of love is is unconditional love because it's the love where you love somebody on on a, on all different scales depending on who that person is, but you love them regardless of any conditions. And I think that's the most important type of love for people to understand. Because love is is something that hopefully many of us will feel in our lifetimes. And to be in love, it's the most uplifting, inspiring, it's the most wonderful feelings that you can ever have. And I remember uh, being around Naz, it was just every single day, it was like an, an adventure. You know, we'd wake up in the morning, regardless if it was a good or bad day ahead, it would be an adventure to be together because of that feeling of being in love with each other that we could take on the world, we could conquer the world. We, you know, we'd feel like we we're invincible. Um, you know, sadly we 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 we're not. But that feeling of love, it can overcome barriers. It can overcome challenges. It it's what's going to make this world a better world to live. And that's why, mm. if if love is all of these things, then we have to try hard to protect it and make sure that somebody who needs love is given love. And sometimes that love isn't given by the people who brought them, that person into the world. And so it's our responsibility as a, as a community to support other people who we see who aren't being loved in the way that they need because that love is, is critical sometimes to somebody's existence amazing yeah yeah honestly we're just 
sat here with um, you know cards that say ten points. <laughs> we just keep raising them. I'm only joking, but no, that's 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 beautiful. That's that's uh, a wonderful view. So important as well. I uh, I agree with what you're saying. Absolutely. That unfortunately for some people, love doesn't come from the people who brought you into this, brought them into this world. Um, so yeah, it's something that should be protected for sure. I'm definitely, really, definitely. You're looking at me. Um, things like you know, m- moving forward, um, and given like the hope and positivity that we encourage to put out there. In in your view, how how does it um, get better? It it gets better by by having conversations like this. It gets better by talking more openly in positive yeah. ways. It it gets better by creating better understanding in people who who are fearful because if you know fear has come from a lack of understanding of a particular situation, and so if somebody so if you if you if you kind of go towards for example like the word homophobia. It's, uh, you know, if you split that into two yeah. parts, the second part is phobia, it's the fear of something. So if that fear is, be- is is driven by the fact that they don't understand, and that fear is actually removing the love or denying the love to take place, then, then by having the conversations, we can actually challenge that lack of understanding by providing more positive information in a way that is actually allowing of that person to, to learn and grow in a positive way way so the thing is one of the best healers in the situation and the best way and also in parallel to that one of the best ways to create knowledge or present knowledge or to impart knowledge is time so we have to realize that these things can take time and over time you know in the right supportive environment or with the right information that's coming out both that love can be brought back into the situation. The phobia and the fears and the dislike and the hate can even go over time if information is um, kind of drip fed in small steps over a long period of time. So go back to your question is though, how, how do things get better? How can things get better? It can get better by keeping positive as much as we can, but also by introducing information in different ways, in as many different formats as possible, information that can be absorbed and read and understood by the people who actually fear somebody who's just different to them because of the way they're born. Yeah, yeah, no, I, 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 I like that. And, and, and when you talk about information, am I right in thinking there is a information book that the Nazimat Foundation are launching? Is that right? Yes, that's right. We we for the last eighteen months we've been working on a new book uh, for religious parents of LGBTQI children. Mm-hmm. So the name of the book uh, it's going to be called "My God, My Child Is LGBTQI Plus." Yeah. Um, it's going to be a uh, yep catchy. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I love it. it. I love it though. Yeah. <laughs> Straight to the point. <laughs> so the book is a. Uh, it's been con- so it's it's a it's a guide for uh, for parents who are from a particular sorry not particular but a religious upbringing or, or religious family, and it's based around the interviews with many different parents from religious uh, families from different religions, and interviewing them about their their acceptance towards their child, and also interviewing some of their children for the book as well and then it's been constructed in such a way where it can take a parent from knowing almost nothing about 
LGBTQI+, all the way to giving them a seven, the seven stages of coming out and actually guiding them through from a uh, place of, uh, coming from a, like a position of faith, um, taking them on that journey to a place where they can actually understand their child and remove the fear that they might have of what their child is or what they might become or what might happen to their child because they'll, they'll born differently to how they thought they would be. Okay, and and where where can if 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 there is anybody listening who'd like to get a hold of the book, uh, where can they get it from? When is it out? So we're hoping um, it's going to be finished by the end of this year. Uh, it's it's almost finished actually, um, but we're just in the design phases of uh, the book, and we need to get it uh, kind of uh, proofed by members of the community. Um, so when it is available, it will be freely downloadable from our website, and also will be printing copies it's going to be about between 50 and 65 pages in length that we're hoping to be able to well, we're not hoping to we will be distributing it in places such as community centers uh lgbt centers uh hopefully religious buildings as well um certainly some churches and hopefully one wow. day other religious uh places where we want to just encourage people from the community just to learn a little bit more about what it means to be LGBTQI+, but ultimately it's a free book. Uh, we want it as accessible as possible. So if any of your listeners might be able to assist us with distribution and working out how to get it into logistically into these different places, then we'd love to, to hear from those people. Yeah, yeah, no, sure, of course. Sounds amazing. Yeah, when it's, when it's launched, send us the link and we shall post. That just sounds incredible. Yeah, it does. You know, it really, really does. And I think something like that's a gig can be a game changer as well. Yeah. And you can really help, help a lot of people. That's, that's, God, you're amazing, aren't you? Yeah, I feel like <laughs> Matt is the dad that I never had. <laughs> I'm constantly. Your daddy, I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> you're my daddy. <laughs> I think why the thing why is like why why I hate you so much. <laughs> you know, um, so for yourself and the foundation, what does the future hold? For the Nazem Matt Foundation, for the future of Nazem Matt Foundation, we we need to um, we what we really need are really uh, trustworthy, reliable, dedicated uh, volunteers to to help us grow. Because we do get you know a number of people contact us to volunteer, but what we really need is volunteers to come forward who have a skill want to run a project, they want to run their own project, but just need our support and our platform to, to run that project. Um, we really need people to help us grow in particular. One area that we really need to kind of help is really with our support. We, we're we actually at a point now where we we get more requests for our support than we can, we can handle. And it's a really, it's not a very nice place to be, um, you know, where we can't respond to everyone within you know sometimes it takes us a few months to reply to some people so we obviously have to prioritize people in urgent need we have to prioritize those mm -hmm. urgently. Um, but other people who want some advice or guidance it sometimes takes us you know a while to get to and i don't think that's acceptable i really don't think that's acceptable but it's really hard running a charity um, you know we don't get funding from the government or any grants we you know it's all funded by uh, donations from parents and in, individuals and you know no one in the foundation gets paid so we're all doing it voluntarily uh, in between our jobs in evenings weekends um, and it's it's we just need really good people who we can trust in who have a lot of experience um, 
in this area, particularly from uh, who, who perhaps from a South Asian family, um, because the 90% of the people who come to us are from South Asian families. So we really could do with more individuals to step forward and help support us, support the community um, more in that area. But ultimately, it's about being able to help more people better for longer periods of time. Well, that sounds amazing. I think it's uh, a growth pain or, or, or it's, it's it is. That increased demand that, that you're experiencing. And, you know, if there's any way that we could get involved, we'd love to. Oh, definitely. For sure. Yeah. So we shall, we shall talk about that offline. Thank <laughs> <laughs> um, you. Can I just say uh, one more thing, if that's OK? Yeah, yeah sure, go for it. I mean, ultimately, the work that we do, uh, the end goal for the foundation is to not exist anymore. Our goal is to get to a place where the services of our charity are no longer needed because parents are more accepting towards their children. And so we, you know, we won't stop as an organization until we get to that place. And it's, you know, it might take a couple of lifetimes. So we need, that's why we need more people to make sure that the charity is sustainable. But ultimately the, the end goal is for parents of all backgrounds, including those from religious backgrounds, they accept their children unconditionally and love them unconditionally for who they are and for who they were born to be. And if people want to uh, make a donation or make a contribution, how, how can they go about doing that? Thank you. So if they come to go to nazimatfoundation.org, uh, there's a donate button or they can just search for uh, Nazimat Foundation on Just Giving. Um, Mm-hmm. And yeah, we've got a number of different ways you can uh, volunteer. You can either you know do, make a payment online, or you can do events. Uh, you can do events. I mean, events are fantastic. If uh, there's an event that somebody wants to put on and raise uh, donations for us, um, you know, that, and that event might be you know uh, aligned to the cause and the objectives that we have as a charity, it'd be fantastic. And we we always need. Uh, you know, donations, because that's what's going to pay for this book to be able to go out to all of these families. Right. Well, on that note, then, Matt, we should we should definitely um, help put the word out for sure. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, anything else that you'd like to promote, plug? Yeah. Oh, I've got a new single coming out next year. <laughs> <laughs> available on iTunes. Now available on iTunes. <laughs> brilliant okay well matt thank you thank you so much yeah thank you so so much for your time that was that was really wholesome really Mm. refreshing it was it was always a pleasure talking to you and listening to you and i cannot wait until well i can't wait to see what the future holds for for the nazimat foundation and, and and all of the other hard work and and great work that you're doing and we'd love to have you again sometime oh definitely yeah for sure thank you both thank you both for um you know, speaking to 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 us and uh, listening to us about the work. It's really important. Thank you. No worries. An absolute pleasure. Well, you take care, um, and we shall see you soon. <laughs> Bye. Yeah, best of luck, both of you. Bye. 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 Love you. You can follow us on um, Twitter at ydlm underscore podcast. That is ydlm underscore podcast. Hashtag ydlm podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at you don't love me underscore podcast. That is at you don't love me underscore podcast on Instagram. You can like our pictures, view our videos, you DM us, you can email us. You will always get a reply. And if you don't, keep hitting us because 
it's got to be there somewhere that message um, thank you for all your emails your DMs all the lovely things that people have been saying we love you guys shout out to my haters <laughs> um, and yeah just thank you for listening and give us some feedback on the episodes and let us know what you think and what you think we could talk about in the future yeah until next time my dear I love you goodbye but you don't love me <laughs> <laughs>